What's up, MMA fans? Welcome to our show. I'm Scott Fontana alongside Dan Urban, and we're the Couchside Judges. We're here to talk about a little bit of MMA judging, maybe try to improve the sport along the way. Dan, how you doing? I'm doing pretty great. Did you like come over to my house for the first time in a couple years? I did. I enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah. What, yeah. You, you said when you came in, things looked a little different. What was it you liked about coming into my uh, house since you hadn't seen well, it? Well, I really enjoyed the couch that I got to sit on. Is that right? The, the big circle chair. But yeah, what did you think of those fights uh, on Saturday night? I think no MMA promotion should ever go back to Texas. I think it was very, very poorly judged throughout the entire card. Yeah, UFC 247 uh, left a little bit to be desired in, in terms of quality judging. Um, we, we will be digging deep into that during the course of our show today. Now, in addition to UFC 247 and all the judging that kind of went the wrong way in most people's eyes, we'll give you a classic fight that we're going to revisit, and um, we'll talk about Saturday's upcoming fights. But Dan, I think it's time we get right down to it, right? Let's talk UFC 247. UFC 247. And let's jump right into John Jones against Dominic Reyes. Now, you didn't think this was a fight that should have even been put together. I did not. I thought Reyes probably hasn't earned that title shot. I mean, he definitely proved me wrong in the sense that he showed that he belonged, and a lot of people think that he won that fight. Well, let's get down to it. What, who, what did you think? Who won that fight? In my opinion, I scored it 48-47 Jones. He did. So which rounds did you give him? I gave him three, four, and five. Three, four, and five. That's that's the one that makes sense. I gave three, one, two, three to Dominic Reyes. As a lot of people had it that way. A lot of people had it that way. You know who didn't have it that way though? Joe Solis, one of the judges on hand, who decided that John Jones put it all together, beginning in round two. And he won round two. He won round three. And he won round four and five. No one seems to really agree with him there. He's on a little bit of an island by himself, isn't isn't Mr. Solis? Yeah, Solis is, I mean, in my opinion, this wasn't the worst judge for this car. I mean, it's it's very bad. No way did Jones win round two. But I do not think he scored it the absolute worst because he stayed consistent. I, I'll give you that. I can understand. Completely disagree with his consistency. Oh, of, but... uh, of course. But at at least if you if you're trying to say that he was seeing it in a certain way and he continues to see it a certain way throughout the duration of this five round fight, okay, at least in his head his criteria isn't uh, wavering. I can't say the same for Marcos Rosales. I yes. actually I gave him a worse grade for judging this fight because if you gave Jones round two. Round three is nearly identical to that round, and it was better for Jones. So you cannot give Reyes round three if and you give Jones did. round two the way Rosales did. Yeah, that that's a little funny to me. Funny is a funny way to put it, I suppose, but I almost look at it as he had a really strong chance to be the guy who actually saw it for Reyes. And everyone would be like, wow, Marcus Rosales, he was the one who saw clearly that John Jones finally lost, and yet he dropped the ball. He did. It was a big ball to drop. I mean, for UFC 247, it's always going to be tarnished or at least have an asterisk in people's minds saying, this is the fight Jones lost. According to the three judges that were cage-side, he didn't. Now you have to give credit to the third judge, Chris Lee, who is one of the best judges 
for my money in this sport. Because while I disagreed with him giving rounds three, four, and five to Jones, that's how you saw it. That's how I saw it. So the guy nailed it the way you saw it in, in a way that pretty much anybody watching the fight could at least understand that score. Yes. The reason I went round three, and I think maybe the reason Chris Lee went round three, those grazing leg kicks from Reyes were, were counting as strikes, but they were they were nowhere near significant, nor do I believe they should be considered significant. Jones is backing out of the way, and the kick is grazing his shins, and I think people saw that as those are strikes that are landing, but really, they're nothing. Yeah, no, that's, that's a fair take. I personally just didn't see enough from Jones at that point. I thought he was still more on the defensive, not, not in the sense that he was not stalking, but he just wasn't being aggressive. He was more following where Reyes was going to with, with his motion, which credit to him, that's how he was getting the job done for a few rounds, but unfortunately he couldn't keep up the pace over those last two rounds. Right. Reyes was leading it. Even though he's going backwards, he was leading. He was. Dictating he was leading where it dance. was going to take place. But I, you still, I mean, in the judge's eyes, you're still going to see that as you're going backwards retreating, even when you're countering. That's why you and I, we don't like to count cage control and aggression towards the criteria, but no. we understand that it is part of the criteria. It's part of the criteria as it is. If If we had our druthers, then we'd probably find a way to eliminate this because, at least my personal opinion, it's about winning the fight. It's about damage. It's about inflicting your will upon them. And just being aggressive isn't enough. We've seen plenty of fighters who are aggressive without actually doing anything. Yes. And I don't see that as something that we should be deciding a, a winner for. But that wasn't, that wasn't necessary in this case. I don't think any of the rounds came down to even striking, let's go to aggression, and then area control. We didn't see that. I, I disagree a little bit. I think that's how round three was going. I thought the striking was rather even in round three, minus those leg kicks. And then Jones advancing the way it appears that he's advancing could have swayed Chris Lee's decision. I mean, sure, I can understand that, but I, I disagree. I, I really do think that Reyes was still, as we said, leading the dance. I thought his, I thought he was doing enough, honestly. I just didn't see enough of Jones to really change my mind. And the first time I watched it, I really did think Jones won that round. But when I rewatched it in silence, away from you, away from any distractions, I, I gave it to Reyes that time. I really thought he took it. And that, you know, that's another thing with judging. You have to judge it on the spot. You do. And you do. That's my, my opinions change on second watch all the time. And it's, it, it is a tough job, but these guys have to get it right. Oh, it's a, it's a tough job. And, and also, we should be very clear here. We're watching it from our living room, and they're watching it from right up front. And they, have do, they do have a screen in front of them. They can watch it on the screen if they need to. But it's very hard to simulate at home the crowd, all the other noises going on around you. So even, even if we're grading the fights the way we see them at home, and that goes for each and every one of us, it's different. Having said that, we're all watching at home, and we have certain expectations. And if these three people who are sitting cage-side, they give us something that doesn't match what we see, we have a right to be mad. For sure. And I'm mad. I'm not as mad about this fight in particular. There are several other fights throughout this card that have been a little bit, little bit boiled up, and we'll get to those. But the real takeaway for me as far as the judging of this this fight 
Yes, Mo- Marcos Rosales, he goofed up by giving round two to Jones. But Joe Solis, 49-46. It, it's a bad score. And somehow it wasn't his worst of the night. Let me give you the worst score of the night from Mr. Solis. And it came in the final fight of the prelims right before we got to the pay-per-view portion of UFC 247 in Houston. Trevin Giles against late replacement James Krause, who literally took this fight 18 hours before his fight. He woke up on Friday morning. He didn't think he was going to do anything Saturday night except corner, help out, do a little coaching. And somehow he wound up in the sixth to last fight of the night. So Mr. Krause comes out there. He starts getting tagged a little bit by Giles. Giles has some nice hands. I agree. Yeah, Giles. I think Giles has something. He can be He can be pretty good. I think he could be. But I don't think he was good enough on Saturday night. It was a close fight. But you know what wasn't very close? Round one. Round one was not close. Round one was not close at all. He ate a few, ate a few punches, like we said. But he managed to get that fight on the ground. He, he, got to, he got to Giles back, and he was working for a choke for the better part of at least three minutes. Yeah, it was about three minutes. He was working for a rear naked choke. He didn't quite have it at any one point, but he was very close several times. Yeah, about 30 times. Now you'd think, okay, back control for three minutes, going for a sub in the body triangle. You'd think, okay, this guy's locked up this round. Joe Solis disagrees. I'm pretty sure he wasn't watching the fight. Yeah, I, sometimes sometimes the fans in the in the crowd, they take a bathroom break, they pick the wrong fight to go on a bathroom break. I don't know if that's what Mr. Solis did. I have to assume he didn't. But 10-9 Giles, it, it's just a horrible score. It's easily the worst score that he put out there on a really bad night for Mr. Solis, I have to say. It, he was bad, and this was the worst. Yeah, I just don't know how anybody watches that fight and says... You know what? Trevin Giles won that round. No, there's there's not really any justification for it. He ended up giving round two to Giles, as we all agree. That was a very clear Giles round. You could possibly make an argument for a 10-8. I think yeah. you might even. I, I, I probably would as well. I scored it a 10-8. I think that's a fair score for round two. None of the judges did. In fact, there were no 10-8s throughout this entire card. Not a whole lot of opportunities, but I would say there was one to two that you could make a case for. Perhaps even a strong case. I don't know what the deal is with the Texas judges. They use the old rules. But as an MMA journalist colleague of mine told me earlier today, really that these judging criteria clarifications that came out a few years ago weren't necessarily changes to the criteria, but were more clarifications to make it easier for people to understand that this is what they're supposed to be doing. So they should have been doing this all along, more or less. They should try to clarify it more. Well, I don't know if Texas was really paying attention because they didn't most of these most of these judges on this card, save for a few like Chris Lee and, and Marcos Rosales, these were all Texas-only judges and mostly only Houston judges who judge fights at Toyota Center. Mr. Solis is one of them. He has not judged a UFC fight in three years entering this weekend. And they said, okay, I'm going to assign you to the main event. Let's see how you do of a championship fight. And by the work of the devil... He actually is needed to decide the winner. But we've already discussed that. Point is, he couldn't see it right. He did give round three to Kraus, which is what I saw as well. That was a round that possibly could have gone either way. In fact, you had at least one judge, Joshua Ferraro, gave three to Giles. How did you see round three? I had round three for Kraus as well. I agree. But if they're not going to give 10-8s, 
Kraus should win 29-28. I can understand an argument for Giles to get round three. I disagree with it. It's not a, it's not a robbery that Giles ended up winning the fight, but I thought Kraus did enough to win. And not just because he took the fight on short notice. I thought within the 15 minutes that he was in the cage, I thought he earned it. And it's a shame that he didn't get the win. I agree uh, to a point, but I do think round two was a 10-8 because he was saved by the bell, I thought. I mean, at one point, I thought Kraus tapped at the bell, but I didn't know if it was just him releasing because he heard the bell, his defense to the choke, or if it was him actually going to tap. I caught that too. Um, I don't think it was a tap. Uh, but I I caught a little motion that kind of looked like a tap. I don't think that's what that was. Um, but, I mean, while I would agree that that certainly could have made a good argument for a 10-8, and I probably would have given it too, just the fact that they're not giving 10-8s says that, okay, you have to accept that that's a 10-9. And if that is a 10-9, and you're just saying, okay, it's simple who won what round, two rounds to one, Kraus means he should have gotten the win. For sure. But there was a third fight that Mr. Solis and I disagreed with. It was the second fight of the night between Andre Yule and Jonathan Martinez. Before I get into what I think, I, I want to know, what did you think of that fight? I, I kind of want to know what you were thinking about when you saw it. Okay, that. so I watched it two times. I didn't get to watch it live, but I did watch it twice. Uh, my initial score, I scored it at a 28-28 draw. Okay. Because I thought round two, Yule pretty much dominated the first four minutes with his striking. He was out striking him like something like two to one. And then... Martinez hits him with a body kick that just completely turns around. Well, what about the first and third rounds? Round one, I gave to Yule. Thought he landed better. Round three, I saw for Martinez. Okay. What did you end up giving round two? Round two, I gave it a 10-10. Okay. So you saw it a draw as, as 29-29. 29-29. Okay. Yeah, but if you let's say you had to get off the fence... What would you have, okay. what would you have gone with? On my second viewing, round two, I scored ten nine Martinez. Because while Yule was landing better, Martinez shots actually did more damage. Kicked his leg out, knocked him on the ground, hit him with that teep, completely shut him down, it seemed. So you saw round one Yule, round two Martinez, round three Martinez in your second viewing. Right. And that's how I had it too. That's that's what I did on my second viewing. I think we can both pretty much agree that that's a good way to see that fight. Mr. Solis, just to start with this man, he saw all three rounds for Andre Yule. And I can understand how he would have fallen into the trap of thinking that Yule won all three rounds because when Yule throws, you can really tell when he's throwing. And it's it's a style that I think is much easier for, lack of a better word, an amateur judge to pick up on. Whereas Martinez, he's much more compact. He kind of throws from inside the pocket. And you can really tell where Yule's landing as opposed to Martinez. It's a little tougher. So I think what happened was, if I'm going to speculate here, he fell into this trap of he saw a bunch of things coming from Yule and he didn't see as much coming from Martinez. Even though Martinez, especially in rounds two and three, picked up the pace as far as his ability to stalk. That's the only way I can imagine he gave all three rounds to Andre Yule. I, I don't understand a 30-27 score for him when both you and I Gave it 29-28 to Martinez. Granted, our second viewing. I can see how someone would score round two for Yule because he did win four minutes of the round. I didn't think it was quite four minutes. I I thought it was more of a tale of two halves. But yeah, I, I would agree. There There's certainly a good amount of preference and subjectivity to that second round. But round three, 
round three, I don't see how Yule wins round three on any card. He basically got stalked the whole time. Even though, you know, the striking was even, it, it was Martinez. And you want to hear the funny thing? Yule won round three on all three judges' cards. Wow. Solis, Danny D'Alejandro, and Joshua Ferraro, Texas-based judges. Those are bad scores, gentlemen. They are. And and it very clearly cost Martinez the win because this was a pretty easy round to score. Round three was, I would, of all the rounds, round three was the easiest to score. And they gave, they all gave it the wrong way. And that made the difference because you will want a split decision. 30-27 and 29-28 in his favor and 29-28 Martinez's favor. See, I always find it strange how one judge can have a 30-27 for one guy and then another judge has it. 29-28 for the other guy. What fights are you guys watching? I do think there are fights that happen, though, like that. It, it's it's This was not one of them. I think probably if you wanted to run the gamut and say there were 29-28s on both sides possible. But the funny thing is Joshua Ferraro still ended up seeing the fight for Martinez despite the fact that he didn't give him round three. So both he and I and you arrived at the same 29-28 score but Ferraro did it because he gave round one and round two to Martinez, but not round three. Very strange. Very strange. Yeah, I mean, the way he's scoring, it probably should be 30-27 for Martinez. Yeah, I would think so. I, I don't understand why you wouldn't do that. It, I, I see arguments for Martinez winning round one. I, I think when I initially watched it, I also thought that he did enough to win round one, but upon second viewing, I, I was much less confident. I thought Yule really was inflicting his damage from afar. He had a five-inch reach, and you could tell he was he was using it very well. Um, but in the later rounds, I think Martinez kind of found his way. Um, but it's unfortunate that he didn't get the win there. I mean, it's a good thing. I think uh, these two did get a bonus because I don't know if these judges understand that when they give the decision wrong, that's basically taking half the money out of that fighter's pocket. I feel like they understand it, but I think these. I think all judges probably think they're good at their job. I would have to think so, because if they don't think they're good at the job, maybe they should find a new job. I mean, for sure. It sounds like Solis is doing this as a hobby. I mean, he, ha he hasn't done a UFC fight in three years. How many more Houston MMA events are happening per year that he's getting enough experience to be doing this big of an event? It's hard to say. I, I You'd have to really dig deep into that, which unfortunately neither of us had the time to do between now and then. I'm not sure of his background. I'm not sure if he judges boxing as well. I know a lot of judges come from boxing into MMA and very few of them just seem to be MMA specific judges. Side note, one MMA specific judge was assigned to one of the fights that actually ended in the first round. Jason Herzog, referee. Wow. Yeah. I would have liked to have seen what he could have done. I'm sure he would have done at least better than most of these guys. Is that the only fight he did? That was the only one he was assigned to. It seems, and I don't know this, but it seems like he is probably early on in his path as a judge. He's a decent referee. I, I actually like him as a referee. He's not perfect, but he's not one of the worst refs out there. He's no Steve Mazzagatti. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Thankfully. <laughs> few of those, as few of those as we possibly can. Please. But moving right along, I know you have some very specific thoughts on Dan Ige winning a split decision against Mirsad Bektic. Just to set the stage here, Round one, a very clear round for Danny Gay, winning with the striking. Round two, a very dominant round, if you ask me, for Mirsad Bektik. You could probably give a 10-8 round for. He had that arm triangle that was locked in pretty well for quite a while. He was, he was cooking him, as Joe said. 
Uh, it unfortunately didn't come to fruition, but it, it, he was dominating that round. Would you agree that's a 10-8? My first live score, I gave it a 10-8. Mm-hmm. On the replay, I scored it a 10-9. You did? Okay, you changed your mind. Interesting. Why? He definitely dominated him, but I, I didn't think he put it over the edge of a 10-8. My thinking is when you get a 10-8 based on the criteria and the typical judging habits that we see, it should be when you're very close to being finished. It's always hard to tell how close a submission is to being finished because it's kind of in or it's not, but that looked pretty in because he had an arm triangle for a good minute plus. He did, but he wasn't committing to it. He was scared to lose the position. If he really wanted it, he would have went to the side. Ige probably explodes because he was still high on it. If his body was a little lower, like if he had his hips a little lower, and if he can get his shoulder and his arm slightly below where it was, it would have had a much tighter choke on him. Like that one side of Ige's neck probably wasn't being restricted like the other side was. So the choke wasn't there. The position was dominant. I feel if he went for it, perhaps he gets it. But I think if he does go for it, he loses that position. He was just content with cooking him. That's fair. That part of the round. That's a fair case. I, I'm, I still feel confident in giving the 10-8 there. Uh, but I understand what you're saying here. But regardless, let's talk about round three because this was the swing round between all three judges. Everybody, all three judges assigned to this one agreed that the first one went to Ige and the second one went to Bektik, which they only gave 10 nines. So round three was, was the deciding round. How did you see round three, Dan? So round three is basically what do you score better, striking or do you score grappling? If you score grappling, Bektik wins. If you score striking, Ige wins. Ige landed probably like four to one strikes that round. Yeah, it was just about that rate, yeah. Bekdic did no ground and pound at all. He just controlled on the ground, takedowns, worked from there. But the biggest reason that this even went this far is because the referee reset them when Bekdic was in deep on a single leg against a fence. Working for a takedown, he reset them after about 45 seconds, which isn't nearly enough time. He was in deep on a single. He's working to try to get him to the ground. And I think the way the fight was going, he probably would have gotten to the ground. And that reset changed the course of the entire fight. It's it's hard to say, but I would agree that there definitely needs to be a lot more rope given to the ability to let these people work for takedowns and grappling. This is referee Kerry Hatley, who in my mind is the classic. He refs in Texas, but nowhere else. Not a big fan of him, and I think this is definitely an example of why a lot of people probably shouldn't be a big fan of him because when you inject yourself into the fight because you think it's not as exciting for the fans, it's not good for the fighters. You're there to protect the fighters. If they're not doing anything, then yeah, you got to do something. But this is this was a very poor interruption, and I agree with you. I, I think it probably altered the course of the fight in very likely could have cost Bektich the fight. I did end up giving Ige that round. I thought his striking, especially the way he was landing, I, th- I thought it was much more effective offense than the grappling that we saw from Bektich. But I don't I don't disagree with you. And if you wanted to give that round to Bektich, it's fine. That's that's okay. It's no one was robbed from this fight except for perhaps Bektich if you want to get down on Kerry Hatley. Yeah, no, Kerry Hatley got a F for this fight. <laughs> Strictly on that one moment. It's just inexcusable to separate guys that are working like that. I mean, they're not they're not leaning on each other, trying to catch their breath. It's unfortunate for all the reasons I outlined, but unfortunately, that is what it is. But 
the bright side is we probably don't have to see Mr. Hatley in the cage again until the UFC comes back to Texas, which I don't believe is any time soon or coming up. I hope not. They've been talking about doing a card at Dallas Stadium or AT&T Stadium. Oh, they've been talking about that for years. Yeah. We'll see when that happens. They, they've got to get a fight together that's worth it. It'll it'll certainly involve someone who rhymes with Ron or Reger. <laughs> but moving on, there was another fight that actually the scores were all over the map on. This was on the prelims. It was, it was the other women's fight other than the co-main event, uh, which we'll talk about a little bit later. This was Lauren Murphy against Andrea Lee, or as everybody enjoyed joking about on Twitter, Murphy Lee. What the hook going to be? <laughs> Dan, why don't you tell me what you saw when you saw that fight? Because the scores were all over the map. Yeah, so live, I thought for sure it was a 29-28 Murphy. Don't know if that was swayed because I bet on Murphy. That certainly could be, and thank you for being clear about that. Uh, so for sure, I think that's it. On my second watch, and I scored a 29-28 for Lee. I thought Lee for sure won round two and three with the better striking. I thought the deciding factor was round two. I favor the striking over that last-minute takedown with minimal offense, where the striking was close, but not that close, where the takedown would, would give her the nod for Murphy. Now, see, here's where I disagree, and and this speaks to the point of the fact that this was actually one of the hardest fights to score, perhaps the hardest fight to score on the entire card out of 12 bouts. I gave round one to Lee. Despite the fact that she dropped her mouthpiece three times, I don't understand why she can't get a mouthpiece that fits, you know, even just kind of get the one that you boil in, in your uh, in your stove. I feel like that would somehow stay in better, but I mean, these are professional athletes. Get your mouthpiece in and keep it in. What are you doing? At one point, it fell out of her mouth, and she almost went to pick it up, and then she's like, oh, no, I'm still in a fight. I got to protect myself. I, didn't I couldn't that. believe that. I was like, what are you doing, Andrea? Don't you want to win? <laughs> I wonder how often that happens in training. This must be a reaction for her. It can't be the first time she ever dropped the mouthpiece out of. But I digress. Uh, I did give her round one, though. I did think her striking was better. Murphy was certainly busy. It was a very close round. Even if you look at the numbers, all three rounds, the striking was very close. Uh, Lee won an advantage in, in, I believe, every round, but it was very close, and I did think her shots, especially to the body in round one, were much more clear. Round two, I did give to Murphy, but not because of the takedown. I thought that was also irrelevant. I didn't think she did anything with it, but I did appreciate the aggression that she was showing in landing her shots. I, I thought she was leading the dance and was just as effective more so, in fact. So I gave her the slight edge there, but that's that's totally a a viable round to go either way. Round three, I gave to Lee also. So I had a 29-28 for Lee. And that's also what you had, Dan, right? Correct. So Chris Lee scored it for not related Andrea Lee. Danny D'Alejandro and Patrick Patlin, they both saw it for Murphy. D'Alejandro actually gave all three rounds to Murphy. And this was a weird one to me because I understand that it was a close fight, but I mean, was anybody who really understands how the striking game plays out and, and watching this, did anyone really think that Andrea Lee was losing every single round there? No, this is the worst scorecard for this fight. Yeah, that's that's unforgivable. You want to say 29-28 with round three being the swing as far as uh, Patrick Patlin giving it that way. I can understand that. I really do see round two as the swing here, but no, I'm just yeah. I'm trying to look for excuses for Mr. Patlin to look good. And not that I need to, but... My goodness. <sighs> These judges, I can't wait to not see them again. <laughs> Danny, you have anything more to say about that this fight? No, I think we covered it. 
Now, there's just one thing I want to say about Derek Lewis and Alir Latifi. Now, this fight, it actually went the way I think probably most of us saw it at home, with all three judges giving the first round to Lewis, the third round to Lewis, and the second round to Latifi based on his wrestling. Unfortunately, Dominic Cruz disagreed. Immediately after the post-fight, Dominic Cruz weighs in with commentary, saying, If the judges are watching, I think they should be ashamed of themselves in how they're judging these fights. I mean... Latifi was up on the numbers and three takedowns to nothing. So not sure what they're watching. So I'm going to say that while I agree with Dominic Cruz in the sense that these judges were terrible and they only got worse as the night went on, this was not the fight that you really say that about. I, I think they actually got this one right. What do you think, Dan? Yeah, I think they got this, this one right. I think it was probably just a culmination of things for Cruz and he was just looking for a, a moment to vent his frustration with the judges and it just happened to come out after this decision was announced. I would agree, but I'll say this. There's there's some consistency with Dominic Cruz. He loves to give points for takedowns because that's what his style was. He would always punctuate rounds with a takedown, and I think he always thought that that was the way he was winning fights. I thought he was winning fights because he had that, that herky-jerky striking style that was always very active and, and certainly confounded a bunch of his opponents. Yeah, he would land the takedown at the end, but I thought always thought that was more of an exclamation point than uh, than something that turned the tide. Yeah, no, him winning rounds is because he was getting hit and uh, he was hitting and not getting hit back. Agreed. So I, I think this is just a very consistent thing where we, that we see from Dom, where he really gives a lot of weight to these takedowns that I don't think we really need to. Takedowns matter, but if you're not doing anything with them, what's the point? And certainly in round two. Latifi's takedown was really good, but he won the round. It's it's so easy that he won the round. But the right. other the other takedowns that he landed, I don't think that was enough to to sway anything. And look, if we're if we're trying to win the fight here, especially at heavyweight, and Lewis is throwing leather and he's throwing all these kicks and knees and everything like that, he's he's trying to take the dude's head off. So I appreciate that. That's that's what I want to see from a guy who's trying to win a fight. Yeah, I, I really appreciated flying knees from heavyweights. I think he had a bet with Bautista to see who can have the better flying knee knockout. But wasn't to be for Lewis. Yeah. But I, I want to talk about what is effective grappling. The way I see it, Latifi's just resting on the cage. And Lewis is just letting him. He's waiting for the ref to break it up. Latifi didn't throw any strikes against the cage. So I, I completely disregarded that part of the entire round. Mm. And round one, when they separate, whatever strikes happen, that's how I scored it. So, easy round for Lewis. I, I don't want to throw away clinching against the cage entirely. You know, obviously you want to see activity, but I don't think it's something you disregard. I just, I would give much less weight to it than I would if you were landing heavy shots. Right. So, people were saying that, oh, he controlled them. Well, big deal. He didn't do anything. And when they separate, he ate a ton of punches. Yeah. I, I think that some people have it in their head that control equals effective grappling and in a sense it does but effective grappling should be advancing positions looking for submissions trying to set traps these type of things and none of those things are what your leader latifi was doing and i think that's what you're getting at that's what i'm getting because then also when he got on the ground in round two he was content just sitting in half guard wide open guard he can pass it at any time he wants but he's refusing to advance and he wasn't throwing many punches the only reason he wins that is because he was there most of the round, sure. and I think Lewis landed two punches that entire round. So yeah, it's in, you can't yeah. you can't make an argument for Lewis to win that round because there just wasn't nearly enough. And yes, if you're 
if your opponent is on top of you in half guard and you are not hitting him back in any meaningful way and he's still lying on you and the referee is not standing you up, yes, you're winning the grappling. Mm -hmm. Uh, I do think that there's something to be said about enjoying keeping half guard because, well, you're you're not in full guard. You're not being threatened by submissions. Not that I think anyone's typically worried about Derek Lewis throwing up triangles, but it's certainly, you definitely want to see a lot more work being done by Alir Latifi, who... I think was at least to a degree trying to conserve a little bit of energy. Yeah, he was he was taking a nap in in a, in a good position. And round three, I felt was heading in that direction until last minute, maybe minute and a half, where Lewis almost finishes him. In my opinion. Yeah, no, absolutely. That that fight was really close, and I don't know that it would go so far as to get it to a ten eight situation, even though we were kind of approaching the point of a finish here. I just, I would still stick to a a very strong 10, nine based on the way MMA judges typically operate. Right. I agree. No, no 10, eight there. So it's a clear 29, 28 for Lewis. Mm -hmm. All judges agreed. Got to give him credit where credit's due. They didn't screw this one up like the other ones. No, a little quick notes on some of the other fights that happened on the night. Yusuf Zalal in the first fight of the night against Austin Lingo. Zalal won all three rounds, 30 to 27. All the judges saw it that way, including Mr. Lee, who I'm a big fan of. And I saw it that way, too. Dan, same? Yeah, that was the uh, easiest fight of the night to score. Easy. Moving on. Let me talk a little bit about Valentina Shevchenko against Caitlin Chukagian. It didn't go to the judges, but we did get two rounds of it. And for the record, all three judges saw both of the first two rounds for Shevchenko, as they should have. 10-9. But man, <laughs> bullet looks amazing. And last fight, la- her last fight of last year against Liz Carmouche, she didn't really get to shine in the way that she would like to. I was worried that Chukagian being a little more tepid in the way she approaches the striking might make it harder for Shevchenko to look great. But then round three comes and she lands that takedown right into the crucifix and just beats on her. And I was really impressed with her. I, I love seeing that. Yeah, it was it was very impressive. It was funny. We were watching it. She and Caitlin jumps guard and then she gives up on it. And then Valentina just throws her to the ground right into the crucifix. And it was funny. You were like, eh, maybe she should just pull the guard. Yeah, she probably should have. I, th- I think she would have been better off if she just took her chances there because at the very least, you'd have to make her work to get to that crucifix position that she just ended up finding herself in super quick. And, and that was the end of that. But I mean, spectacular win for her. There's not really any challenges for her at, at flyweight. And the last fight that the judges had to weigh in at all was Mario Bautista against Miles Johns. Now, that ended with a second-round TKO, a pretty awesome one, in fact. But we did get one round that had to be judged. You know who was on that one, Dan? Joe Solis. Oh, boy. Now, I gave the first round to Johns, who, well, he didn't win. But I thought he was certainly the winner in that round. Marcos Rosales was on there and agreed, but Solis disagreed. And Patrick Patlin also gave the round to Bautista. And I just, I didn't see that. But that's enough of the judges. I, I We definitely got to talk about real quick these finishes. Did you have a favorite finish from the weekend? I did. What was that? My favorite finish was Chaos Williams. Oh, yeah. Because he lived up to his name. He sure did. I love that he went by Chaos. Now, his, his real name is Kalen. But he went by Chaos, even with the UFC announcing him, which usually they don't do stuff like that. But... You know, we've seen it with Chris Cyborg. We've seen it with things like that where they'll they'll put in a name that's very clearly not them. And it, it was apt. I, the starching of heavy favorite Alex Morono in 27 seconds in his UFC debut. I mean, that's amazing. He looked wonderful. Yeah, I'm excited to see Chaos again. He overwhelmed him. That, that right uppercut that really put 
Morono down was nasty. Yeah, I was I was more with the flurry. The flurry at the end. It just he he's a finisher. This guy's got killer instinct in him. And I think he's gonna be a threat. I don't know if, we're, if I'm ready to make that call on him, but I, I like I'm gonna keep him on my radar at welterweight. I think he's certainly got some time to get there. Morono he entered this one with six victories in the UFC. That's nothing to sneeze at. I don't know that he necessarily that Williams jumps into the place where he was initially. I don't think you should just throw him into the deep end of the pool. This was a, a late replacement here. He actually came into the fight in late January. So these type of things tend to screw with with preparations, but he looked wonderful. I can't wait to see him again. Was that your favorite finish too? Yeah, that was my favorite finish. I, I really loved that one. I, I did enjoy Bautista's flying knee uh, to John's. I also really liked Journey Newsom when he smashed uh, Domingo Pilarte with that overhand right. And it was that was another one that ended inside of a minute, but he but what happened was he looked like he was in trouble very quickly, and he really he kind of just got the advantage right at the very end and just flattened him. I did want to say that it looked like he looked like the stage was too big for him early, that he wasn't UFC caliber. Now all of a sudden, he's got a knockout. We've seen it before. Anytime you've got that type of power, you can't be counted out. And now we're going to know that about Mister Newsom. All right. So after we went through all the fights. It's time for the judges to get a grade from us. Lest ye be judged is what we like to call this segment. My top judge of the night, probably no surprise, Chris Lee. I gave him a B plus on the night. I gave him an A minus, but yeah, he was totally, he was my standout. He was actually right in between A minus and B plus Mm -hmm. for me, like dead in the middle. And I figured uh, he didn't reach the A minus level, so I got to stick with a B plus. All right. My worst judge of the night, no surprise here at all, Joe Solis. What are you talking about? He had a good night. He got a flat-out F. He did. He did. His GPA, I think, was point four seven. Because I did give him a D-minus for the Jones-Reyes fight. Oh, okay. Because you, you grade, So you grade individually yes. each fight. Okay. Only because he was consistent, even though it was a bad consistency. He stuck with it. Okay. Now, like I mentioned, I agree with you. Chris Lee was the standout of the night. I gave him the A-minus. Uh, for me, we actually agreed on 15 out of 16 rounds. He was the busiest judge of the night. He got actually had to turn in round scores of 16 rounds. Uh, no, no one else approached that. But the only round we disagreed on was was round three of Jones-Reyes. That's a viable disagreement. I can't say I fault him, but I won't give him the A because we disagreed. I'd also like to point out that in limited work, Robert Alexander and Robin Williams they both get A's, but these A's come with asterisks because, you know, they didn't really have to do as much. Uh, Alexander only judged Lewis and Latifi, as well as Zalal Lingo, and Williams only judged Zalal Lingo. So they had a quiet night. They didn't get anything wrong, but they didn't really stand out in any fight that required any real thought here. Got to agree with you. Solis gets the F. It was brutal. I only agreed on six out of 12 rounds he scored. That's just brutal <laughs> i yeah. mean 50 percent is bad how do you get a 50 percent? it's it's not me it's you joe i'm sorry that's rock bottom i would also give a, a dishonorable mention to danny d'alejandro he was really bad he gave all three rounds to murphy that that was just goofy and he also gave round three to yule which granted the other ones did too but ugh, i can't you know what i'm gonna change my mind here give him an f he gets an f Oh, the Alejandro got an F. Yeah. You know what? The only reason he didn't get an F from me is because he got an A in the Lewis Latifi fight. Although oh, yeah. That, fight, that was hard. Yeah, I know. But 
not every class in college is hard. True. But that's enough of this past weekend. It's time to go back even further for a little segment we like to call Past Judgment. And Past Judgment, we like to look back at previous fights, and we're going to grade them too, but with a little bit of a twist. See, Dan and I, the couchside judges, we have come up with our own scoring that we'd like to try out and just see how it applies to, to previous fights. This is our pilot program, if you will. But essentially, we're allowing the gamut 10-9, 10-8, 10-7, and also 10-10s to be viable scores. 10-10s I don't think we want to abuse, but what we're doing is we're going to get rid of aggression and area control as factors. So if there's even striking and grappling, that's a draw round, 10-10. 10-9, there's an advantage. Somebody had an advantage in that round, but maybe wasn't controlling that round. 10-8 is where we see very clear control of the round. Something you, maybe you would think of as like a dominant 10-9 as opposed to a slight 10-9 to try and give the differentiation. 10-7, this is where we start going to the point where, okay, this fight was very dominant to the point of almost being stopped. And there's no limits on how often these rounds should be. We're not going to discourage people from using these to be judged. It's silly that we have a system where you're allowed to give 10-10 and 10-7 but it's discouraged to use half of the scores. I don't understand this. So that's where Dan and I are going to jump in. We're going to apply that here. Our first fight of past judgment was going to look back at something with some, some ties to this coming card. Corey Anderson against Jan Blahovic, number one. Scott, give me a little background on this fight. You got it. UFC 191 in Vegas, September 5th, 2015. We're talking about just about four and a half years ago. This was actually the first fight that I watched after the birth of my son, when I became a father. So I have fond memories of this night, trying to watch fights and making sure my, my little guy doesn't, you know, roll over and not be there. Any father will know that all these crazy things go through your head, especially right after you become a father. The main event, Demetrius Mighty Mouse Johnson against John Dotson in a rematch where Mighty Mouse defended his flyweight title. But we're here to talk about Anderson against Blahovich one. Judges sitting cage side, Sal Diamato, the incomparable Chris Lee, and Patricia Morse Jarman. Referee on hand was Herb Dean, Dan. How'd you see round one? Alright, so round one, I thought very even round. Mm-hmm. Striking advantage Anderson, but very slightly. Yeah, yeah, I'd agree. Grappling, takedown wise, was rather the same. What I thought was interesting, though, is, is as even as the striking was, when you think of these light heavyweights and, and even striking, you're thinking, okay, maybe they landed, you know, seven strikes in that round each. We actually had 17 from Blahovich and 21 from Anderson. This was, this was a pretty active round for light heavyweight. Yeah, definitely. And at one point, Blahovich got Anderson down and passed his guard into side control. Not, it didn't stay there very long. No. Anderson got back up. Still, pretty impressive. But then Anderson had that takedown. I thought he did a little bit more with the takedown, too. He did more with the takedown. But Blakovich uh, threw up an armbar, which was tight for a second. It, it To me, it looked more like uh, throw it up and he was able to escape with it rather than, than any sort of threat there. I'm, I'm sure he was trying to threaten, but I didn't see that as, as, uh, as tight maybe as you did. I mean, he got out of it rather easily, so maybe it wasn't that tight, but it looked like a, a, a good attempt. And I like that Anderson was the aggressor at the end of the round in a very close round. 
you want to see that he's coming forward and bringing the offense. And this isn't just aggression. This is actual offensive aggression. So I appreciated that. It was a good way to close the round after something very, very tight. And I think that was a good way to sway it his way. Anderson got my 10-9. Sounds like he got yours. I would have been Mm 10-9, but I do not fault Chris Lee for going 10-9 for Blakovich. No, I don't either. I I think it was very close. This is a round that really could have gone either way. Diamato and and Morse Jarman, they both saw it our way at 10-9 Anderson. Even with our version of the scoring, I think it's very clear that this this was just a slight 10-9. I agree. Round two. Tell me about it. Round two, Blakovich is pretty much gassed. Anderson comes in, throws him on the ground, and beats him there for an entire round. Yeah, that single leg that he got, I didn't think it was really the greatest takedown we've ever really seen. I think Blahovic probably was just a little bit tired, like you're saying. He just proceeded to hammer him ground and pound for several minutes, but he was doing it from full guard. He really didn't seem interested in advancing for a while until he postured and then stood up. But then when he came back down, he actually ended up in the half guard, and that's when he started to really unload. I don't mind if guys want to stay in guard but are being active with their striking and ground and pound. And he was. Like Tito Ortiz made a career out of elbowing people from their guard. He's the classic guy for sure. So I don't fault him for not advancing in in the sense of guard passing. This round was a clear 10-8 for me. Yeah, definitely a 10-8. I don't think we saw a 10-7 here because it really wasn't at the level of, oh, you know, maybe Herb's going to step in and stop the fight. Uh, it it was certainly dominant to that degree, so I would I would agree it was a ten eight. And actually, all three judges five years ago gave this a ten eight, using the kind of the old way that we would score. Usually, you don't see judges kind of getting it together and doing that, but that's what happens when you get pros like Lee. I I think Saudi Amato is actually a pretty solid judge too. I'm not as familiar with Patricia Morse Jarman. I've heard her name before, but I couldn't tell you how I feel about her as a judge, but. I thought she she nailed this one, at least. She was doing well. Interesting note here. The significant strike advantage went to Anderson in that round, 43-3. to three. It was a little lopsided. That was just a beating. Mm-hmm. Round three. Round three, much of the same, except Blakovich is a lot more tired. He somehow... Tired-er, so, if that's a word, which it's not. <laughs> somehow, he, he locks up a Kimura. I don't think... Anderson uh, respected it at all. Yeah, during the takedown, he just kind of threw it out there. It was like, well, hopefully I could get something out of it, but that was yeah, very and half-hearted. Anderson just uh, elbows. They were big elbows in that round. Uh, I don't think it was close to being stopped, though. I think if for, for some reason it was a title fight and they had to go five rounds, either he probably doesn't come out because his corner stops it or he gets stopped in one of the championship rounds. But I don't think round three... While it was so dominant, I don't think it was a 10-7. I, I gave it another 10-8. Yeah, I agreed with you. That's definitely another 10-8. And it's funny you say that about championship rounds. You don't need a championship round. It just needs to be a main event, which it just so happens we're going to have a main event between these two this weekend. But we'll get to that later. Again, I agreed with you. This was this was definitely another 10-8 round uh, for Anderson. We had a 20 to nothing shutout in terms of striking. Significant strikes landed. In fact, Blahovich only landed three total strikes. To Anderson's 56 in that round. Just a total, total blitz. Anderson passed guard at will. Uh, he was definitely much more content to sit in half guard, but more in the sense that you used to see from Randy Couture, where he would get to half guard and then he would just pummel you. He was actually doing work from there. Yeah, he's active. 
Totally. In, in contrast to Latifi, like we yeah. were talking about earlier. Uh, but actually, all three judges, again, they saw it 10-8 for this one. So despite the fact that we have this this scoring system that we're trying to test out here, it ended up being the same as it was four years ago. So maybe, maybe uh, they just were gutsy enough to really judge a fight the way it should be. Uh, but we, what we ended up with from the judges were Sal Diamato and Patricia Morse-Jarman had it 30-25 for Anderson, as we both did. And Chris Lee had it 29-26 for Anderson. That's You don't see a lot of 29-26s. Yeah, that's an interesting score, but I, I can't fault them for it. No, I, round one was competitive. I agree. This is It's a perfectly viable score. But the fact that it's a viable score... And it's an unusual score. I, I don't think you're going to find too many 29-26s out there that had no penalties, no no point deductions or anything like that. It, it's a strange one, but who's faulting him? That's, that's, a fine, that's a fine score. Anderson on the final significant strike tally outlanded Blahovich 84-20. And yet, four and a half years later, the fight gods have deemed that we are going to watch a rematch. But the reason being the fact that these two have actually been on quite a roll lately and the fact that we're kind of running out of contenders that Jones hasn't faced yet. Now, obviously, the weekend's events might see an interruption here, but this was starting to look like it would produce the next challenger to John Jones. I don't know if we'll see that now, but let's let's just talk specifically about this fight. Dan, what do you what do you think of the rematch here taking place in Rio Rancho, New Mexico? I'm quite interested in it. Really? I want to see if Bakovich has a better gas tank this go around. Because if he doesn't, it's going to be much of the same, except he has to survive five rounds now. He's going to take a lot more damage. But if his gas tank has improved and we see more of what happened in round one, we have a nice competitive fight here. I have to think that Anderson really decided he caught on to something that it was very easy to take Blahovich down. I don't think it was just that Blahovich was tired. He wasn't really searching for takedowns like crazy in the first round. Yeah, he got one, but once he got a taste, it was kind of like blood in the water because you saw right off the bat in round three, he's just like, I'm going to take this dude down again and pummel him because he's going to stop me. And I don't see any reason why in the four and a half years that have transpired, Blahovich has gotten that much better at takedown defense. I, I just don't see it. And in fact, I think Anderson has actually gotten better as a striker than Blahovich has gotten better anywhere. So I'm having a lot of trouble seeing this as a very competitive fight. But Blahovich hits hard. He really does hit hard, and that's that fight-ending power that he has could be the difference maker, but he's going to have to get it early, especially if the the gas tank doesn't hold up. Well, that's what cornermen are for, there for, too. So that they're the ones that point this stuff out. I didn't have sound on when I was Neither did watching I. the first go, so I don't know if a cornerman pointed it out, but like you said, he probably did notice that, oh, wow, this guy's takedown defense is lacking and... That's how I'm going to win this fight. I mean, I, I have to imagine Anderson himself was just like, wow, that was easy. I'm going to do this again because I've been doing this my whole life. <laughs> and then he did. Beast in 25-8. Yeah, where does he get that extra hour and day? I don't know. I It sounds exhausting, though. <laughs> I don't Yeah, no. I would sleep. Yeah. Maybe maybe give us more like 23-6. <laughs> but then again, I do like to have a lot of time to get things done. But that's neither here nor there. What other fights are you looking forward to seeing this weekend? Anything? Anything else tickling your fancy? This isn't really the strongest card overall. Um, uh, I think um, Yancey Medeiros versus uh, uh, Venata. Lando, Lando Venata, Lando yeah. Venata. I think it has potential to be fight of the night. 
I think they're both going to come out and they're going to go for it. Lando does like to throw those kind of crazy strikes from all over. He's 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 a very creative striker. He's not. It doesn't always lead to victories. He's. I think he has two draws in the UFC, which is kind of odd. You don't see a whole lot of that. Uh, maybe we'll get to look at those one day. <laughs> maybe we'll need to. We'll see. Yeah. No, I, I would have to think Yancey's gonna Yancey Medeiros is gonna win that one. That's not the fight though that I'm looking most forward to. For me, anytime Tim Means is on a card, it's must watch because the dude just brings the violence. And now that he's got the relative job security of a new contract, I think we're gonna see him be much more of his naturally violent self when he goes against uh, Daniel Rodriguez, who's a newcomer. Took this fight on late notice. He was originally supposed to go against Ramazan Emiev, who I've been a big fan of following since he joined the UFC. Uh, he was removed for undisclosed reasons. I don't want to speculate, but maybe in a few months we'll figure out why. So I'm a little disappointed we didn't get that fight. But nonetheless, I love to watch Tim Means. Which brings us to the closing segment. And at the close, we, we usually just kind of open it up to something interesting that's on our mind relating to judging. Or maybe even just anywhere in the in the MMA landscape. But with so much going on in Houston over the weekend with some of the wackiness of Texas judges... Uh, Dan, I know you have something that, that's really burning you up. Tell me. Yeah, so a few guys pointed out that MMA is one of the rare sports where nobody knows what the score is. True. I agree with them that open scoring should at least be explored. There are pros and cons with it. Pro being a fighter knows he's down. He's going to go for it. We're going to get more exciting fights. Con being guy knows he's winning. He may you know, fight much more cautious and basically coast for the round. So how would you combat that? Immediately, no warning, you coast, you lose a point. Absolutely. You can't warn because a warning is just a simple way to delay it a little longer. Your warning is when you find out you're the winner. Mm -hmm. That's your warning. I and agree. If you try to stall uh, in any position, even if you get on top and you don't do anything, you just hold them, that's stalling and you should lose a point. Absolutely. It's funny that this became a, a subject of discussion in the last few days because we have a report that came out just this evening from Mark Ramonde of ESPN, and he reports that Kansas, in their athletic commission, is going to experiment with an option for real-time scoring in MMA fights. All right, it's about time. And the funny thing is the timing of this ended up just being coincidental. This was in the works for a while. Uh, but Ramonde was able to report on the fact that the Kansas Athletic Commission is going to be introducing that starting on March 1st. So any fights thereafter are going to look like that. But it's an option. It's it's something that's up to the promoter. It's something where maybe this isn't announced for every single fight. It's entirely at the discretion of the people involved. But you know who tends to fight out of Kansas a lot? Invicta FC, the all-female promotion i don't know if you watch a lot of invicta dan but i do enjoy watching them from time to time i just watched uh, last weekend yeah what did you think i thought pearl gonzalez was better than what she looked like that's the only fighter i really was knowledgeable about uh-huh and she came in and underwhelmed no, she okay i was gonna say she she kind of washed out of the ufc with uh with two losses um so she didn't do anything to make you say oh she, she should be back oh no no mm -hmm. But anyway, so but regardless, there's a March 6th event in Kansas City, Kansas uh, with Invicta FC. And we have a quote from Invicta promoter Shannon Knapp telling ESPN, if we can help in some way to push the sport forward in a positive direction, that's what we're about. We'll try. 
I like that. I love that attitude. It's, it's great because now we'll actually get a chance to see, not just in theory, why this works or why it doesn't work, but we'll actually get to see it in action. Yeah, I'm excited to see how that plays out. The unfortunate thing is I, I don't believe there is any sort of punishment in there for warning fighters for being passive uh, other than what we have in place already. So that will be up to the referees who I imagine are probably just going to give warnings as they typically do. But we'll see. Maybe maybe the impetus being on the fighter who's down will be enough for them to get aggressive. And that will just change the tide. Because, it, look, if you're chasing after Caleb Starnes and you're Nate Quarry, and we're going back a ways for the hardcores, I think you're going to find that it's very easy to give something like a 10-8 round even. Yeah, you can definitely find that. I mean, it's tough. It's tough to coast when you got a guy chasing you. Mm-hmm. But if you're clearly running away, which I'm almost 100 percent positive, that's against the rules. Yes. Uh, to to run away is against the rules. You are allowed to disengage and then find a new spot, as we actually saw John Jones do a lot in the main event. Right. Uh. So, but if you're actually running from your opponent nonstop, I'd like to see these refs say, "Hey, that's a point." But start, I'm start fighting. I'm very much looking forward to this Invicta card for the, for the reason of being able to see this open scoring. I would like to see that, and as a lot of people have pointed out, whatever we're doing right now isn't exactly working, so why don't we just try it? No harm in giving it a shot. Mm-hmm. If we find out it was wrong, we found out it was wrong, we move back. I, I don't have a problem trying things. This is This is still a new sport. It's really only 27, we're in the 27th year since the UFC won. Obviously, we've had combat sports as long as mankind has been around, but we're still trying to figure this thing out. Let's let's let it grow. And that's our mission here, Scott. We want to also contribute to this. I do. You do. I think we all would like to see better judging. We're just lending our little hand here. So that's it for us. That's it for the Couchside Judges this week. Next week, we're going to make sure we're talking about the Rio Rancho card in New Mexico. This is an ESPN exclusive, ESPN Plus exclusive event. So make sure if you're going to watch it, make sure you got that ESPN Plus. You can't watch any of it on ESPN. And uh, yeah, we'll be back next week. Thanks for listening to us, guys. Make sure to subscribe and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Couchside Judges. Have a good night. Peace.